um, we need to start with the mothers because the mothers are the soil of humanity, right? Right. And and so um, it was just looking at you know what is the state of mothers in the modern world? How are most mothers feeling in the postpartum time? And most mothers in the modern world in the postpartum time still to date are feeling totally depleted, are feeling way um, under-resourced, are exhausted in all the things. And if mothers are the soil from humanity and we know that children are rooted in their well-being or their depletion, we can't talk about the health of the children or the health of teenagers or the health of the future generations if we're not addressing the soil, right? Which is the same way in our gardens. We can't talk about <clears throat> the health of our plants, the health of the food we're growing if we're not addressing soil health. I'm Luke Story. I'm Sarah Gustafson. Hi, I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson, and you're listening to the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. We are in a challenging place right now in North American maternity care and really worldwide, we've got a problem on our hands. We haven't been doing a better job of not even keeping moms and babies alive necessarily. Um, there's a lot of trauma being inflicted on moms throughout their pregnancy, in their childbirth experience, postpartum. And it's because we're throwing this Western notion, this materialistic notion that we can just get more data and that's going to that's that's how we fix our problems. I want to pause and just bring that into question. Is that serving us? And if not, then what else could we possibly do? And maybe what other cultural practices or traditions might actually be more feasible as a means of rectifying some of the major challenges that we're seeing in maternity care? After all, if it's not a medical procedure, then what is it? For me say often that it's a sacred transformation. You're passing through a portal. This is a, a ritual, a, um, a rite of passage, an initiation. Being a member of the great United States, that type of language is not very well accepted amongst OBGYNs in the medical community. Because after all, we've looked at you like a car since really the advent of modern medicine, certainly since the advent of Rockefeller medicine in the early 20th century. So when we start to open up our minds and hearts to some other possibilities, meaning when the student is ready, the master appears, we meet people like my guest today, Rochelle Garcia, Saliga is a mother. She is a midwife, a certified professional midwife. And she brings in um, indigenous practices and Mexican um, cultural traditions into her care of women with a focus and a real ex maybe specialty in the postpartum period. She can be found at Innate Traditions on Instagram, and her website is also Innate Tradition. She is currently offering for listeners, if you like the show, if you like what Rochelle's putting down, Go to her website and check out her free class, it's Physiologic Postpartum Care, Remembering Our Global Postpartum Perspective, um, Postpartum Tradition, excuse me. You're going to get into the physiologic design of the postpartum period, the critical path for postpartum care as necessity, the five cross-cultural prescriptions for postpartum wellness, and much, much more. Also, if you like what she's doing and you want to continue your education, 
check out her innate postpartum care certification training. It's a nine month holistic certification program, um, getting into all of the stuff postpartum, especially the physiology and psychology of birth. This is for any healthcare practitioner. You can find all of that at innatetraditions.com. I loved this conversation with her because she didn't just talk about like, we're not just waxing, you know, philosophical here. She actually is drawing from some very, very deep wisdom. Um, and as I mentioned, she has indigenous blood. She has Mexican blood. There are some really, really deeply wise people in the space who are, who are starting to open the door to other opportunities as to, as to how we might care for one another, how we might actually show up ourselves in childbirth, um, whether you're a man or a woman. There is quite a bit that we can draw from, from more traditional practices. And I think midwif midwifery, of course, having always been a sort of traditional, traditional apprenticeship-based um, kind of lineage, it's really, it's really, unfortunately, guys, I think that's where things are going. And I say, unfortunately, to like the OBGYNs and whatnot out there. Yes, we have surgical skills. Yes, we have pharmaceuticals. But what is the bigger picture here? What are we really lacking? Rochelle, you know, draws from her experience with sweat lodges and sun dancing and, um, and, and really being so present in sitting with women and hearing their stories postpartum. And that's why I think you're going to love her courses and you're going to love this conversation. She is the only, the second person, I think, next to John Wineland, who has brought me to tears on my own podcast. So that is a heck of an intro. At least I hope so. If anything from this episode calls to you in any way, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It takes 15 seconds and it really, really matters, believe it or not. Getting these conversations to as many people as possible is the only way that we're really going to start to um, get some light bulbs to go off for people, whether they're in the system or out of the system, however you define that, to get them to appreciate that there's more to this than this sort of pregnancy as a disease model or birth as a medical procedure model. So um, Rochelle and I really, really went deep in this one. Um, you can otherwise support the show by sharing with your friends and family. Um, beyond leaving a podcast review, you can go to YouTube. All of our interviews, apart from a couple due to content that will go unnamed at this time, are going to be um, on YouTube. We also have a Rumble channel. Um, for those episodes, of course, in the podcast description, you can find the link to Rumble. And of course, um, the podcast show notes are going to be far more comprehensive. So you can go to belovedholistics.com slash podcast to find that. Um, of course, if you want to work with me, belovedholistics.com is where that's at. And if you haven't heard about the Born Free Method, go check that out as well. Uh, Rochelle's work is is very, very much in alignment with what we're doing at the Born Free Method. And I'm, I'm going to be, uh, she doesn't know this, but I'm going to be tickling her fancy around maybe coming in and um, doing some teaching in our program as well. So Rochelle is a joy. You're going to love it. Um, you know, what I'm trying to do with this podcast is provide public facing education because I can't work with everybody and not everybody needs me. But I want to be able to provide as much insight and, um, and gosh, just conversation for people to start to see birth as an opportunity, not as doomsday around the corner. So this podcast is a lot of work. I put my heart and soul into it. And that comes through in these conversations, or at least I hope it does. But in order to keep the lights on, we have to also have, have a couple sponsors. And I'm blessed to have certain brands that are so much in alignment with me, how I show up in the world and what I do in my practice and my podcast that I have no qualms whatsoever about supporting their work. And the first of those is Immune Intel HCC. So Mimi Lindquist came up with this product, which um, has been well-researched. It's made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms, and it has been clinically demonstrated, get this, to clear persistent HPV in vivo trials, many of them. 
And it does this by boosting NK cells, boosting your T cells, boosting um, and optimizing the interconnectivity within your immune system as well as your nervous system. When I started using this product, I take uh, about a two to three month course once a year, less systemic inflammation, better sleep, just better overall um, I don't know, my nerves, like I'm not as anxious. I'm not as reactive and agitated. And my immune system is stellar. I like never get sick. So this is a great product in my practice, because of course we know about HPV. We know that cervical cancer is a really big thing. And we also know that there's all sorts of issues with this quote, safeguard, the, the Gardasil 9 vaccine, which is going to be the feature in an upcoming episode in a couple of weeks here. So stay tuned for that. It's with the um, authors of the HPV vaccine on trial, Mary Holland and Kim Beck Rosenberg, both the attorneys and both actively involved in litigation around vaccine injuries. So um, Immune Intel HCC is a great product. It's also going to be a feature in a new course that Mimi and I are putting together called Clear and Free, which will be your ultimate guide to optimizing your immune system, achieving optimal, optimal wellness, um, using nature as our guide in order to, to not only rid yourself of this pesky persistent HPV thing, but also to just ensure that you're not you don't have to lean so heavily on a medical system that is so fraught with issues and so determined to use pharmaceuticals and surgery for everything under the sun. So I'm super stoked to have Immune to Intel as a, um, as a sponsor. And um, I hope that they're a sponsor for a long time because I just think um, Mimi and her partner Chase, their, their incredible podcast and the incredible work that they do is just amazing. If you go to the medicine podcast, you're never going to be disappointed with the guests that they bring on. They like to go deep as I do. Um, BirthFit is also a sponsor of the show. BirthFit is, gosh, it's the only pregnancy and postpartum supported lifestyle and exercise program um, that that I think is 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 super valuable right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of people trying to do what they do, but Lindsay Cantu and her team, she's a, a, a chiropractor, they do an amazing job of not only bringing in the reality of what pregnancy is and the exercise you know, facets of how to move well, um, how to build muscle, how to train yourself for the birth itself, but also in the lying in period. How do you know when it's time to go back to the gym? You know, maybe it's a 12 month lying in period or maybe it's 12 weeks. It's really something that needs to be individualized. And you're Joe Schmo at Planet Fitness, who's going to give you um, lifestyle or, tr or physical um, exercise training is probably not going to know this. So BirthFit does this as a specialty. And um, I'm very, very, very fortunate to have also gone through um, uh, quite a bit of their training. I did their coaching program and their BirthFit uh, coaching program is one of those things where it's like, if everybody could do this, our, our pregnancy complication rates would be lower. Our postpartum recovery would be faster. We'd have less C-sections, all of that. If you're a healthcare professional and you want to dial in some of this lifestyle stuff, which you didn't learn in medical school, you probably didn't learn it in midwifery school. You're probably not even sure how to take care of yourself. This program will provide you with almost everything that you'll need to know. If you want to do their training, um, they're offering a $400 discount as a listener of the show using code BELOVED400 for their upcoming fall cohort. Get um, enrolled soon because I think they're going to be closing registration um, pronto. So make sure you take advantage of that offer. And if you just want to check out what, what BirthFit does, they have their amazing B community, which includes webinars of great speakers. I was a, a guest speaker honored with that opportunity um, in the past. Um, you're going to get access to their courses and a private community of people who are thinking like you, asking questions like you, and really trying to show up in their pregnancy in the most responsible way possible. You can also use code BELOVED at birthfit.com for 20% off their postpartum basics program as well, which I've done. It's amazing. So I've got the BirthFit coaching cert. I've gone through the postpartum basics program. Everything that they do is just phenomenal. So thank you, Lindsay, and your team at BirthFit for continuing to support me here. 
Next up, we have Organifi. Um, Organifi has become a staple. In fact, I've got my little juice right here. I've got their red juice mixed up. They make three products that I want you to know about that come as a kit called their Sunrise to Sunset Kit. You start your morning off with some detoxification, with some um, phytonutrients, with a little bit of hormetic stress in order to optimize your workout, get your day going right. You know, lemon, lemon water is awesome. Organifi's green juice is like stellar for this purpose. And then in the afternoon, you get their red juice. Their red juice has beets, berries, a bunch of functional mushrooms. You're gonna get a natural boost in your energy through all of these phytonutrients, antioxidants, and functional mushrooms so that you don't, um, so that you can get a little second wind later in the day, but that you don't um, get the jitters and maybe even sleep disturbance that comes with caffeine late in the day. And then in the evening, more functional mushrooms, turmeric, a whole bunch of ingredients, um, antioxidant rich ingredients that are going to help maximize your recovery, that anabolic phase of your day when you're sleeping. It's going to ensure that you get the most restful sleep possible without feeling groggy in the morning. These three are known as Organifi's Sunrise to Sunset Kit. And you can go to Organifi.com slash beloved and you'll save 20% on that offer. But it doesn't end there. Organifi is throwing in 30 additional free servings of their Pure Blend, which helps with clarity, focus, cognition. Your brain's going to be working on all cylinders with their Pure Blend. They're throwing 30 servings of that for free with your purchase of their Sunrise to Sunset Kit. I can't recommend these guys enough. I know I say that, but I use it myself. I'm drinking it right now. It is a stellar company, all non-GMO, non um, all organic ingredients, glyphosate-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, all of those things that I know are important to you if you're listening to this show. Um, so go to Organifi.com slash beloved, save 20% on your purchase, get some freebies. Everybody's happy. Everybody wins. Bioptimizers, near and dear to me. I take this product as well every single day. In fact, this is my last bottle of Mass Symes. Um, and I think I got a couple more HCL breakthroughs downstairs, but I rely on these so much in order to make sure that I'm getting all of the nutrition that I possibly can from all of the expensive produce and meat that my wife and I invest in. When we go and spend money on food, let's say when we spend money at all, if you were to look at our budget, we're spending about 50% of our expendable income on stuff like this, but more, but really like the whole foods, like we want to get the best liver, the best bison, the best venison, the best beef, all of the best produce. We want everything to be organic and, and, you know, well-raised, regeneratively raised, um, biodynamic if possible, organic for sure. And then we eat it all. And if we're not digesting it and then absorbing it, it's all just going to waste. You're not going to feel any better no matter how much you know, oysters and bone broth and organ meats you're eating, um, no matter where they come from, if you're not able to digest and absorb them. And I've done so many stool analyses on people now where you know, they have all these vague symptoms, especially kind of like IBS-like symptoms, you know, irregular bowel movements, or they get bloating after certain things, or they just find that they don't do well when they eat a lot of protein. So now they're trying the vegetarian diet. Well, it could be that you're just not able to digest your food. And again, if you can't digest it, you can't absorb it. You're not feeding your body. You're feeding your microbiome inside of your intestines. So you start your meals off with some HCL breakthrough, and then you add some masszymes. And this is going to get digestion started in your stomach by adding acid to the stomach. Yes, I said that correct. You heard me correctly. And you're going to be adding amylases, proteases, lipases in order to break down every component of the food that you're eating. And then your little microbe, microbiome buddies are going to absorb that and you're going to you're going to heal. You're going to get better. You're going to feel stronger. You're going to sleep better. Um, your vision is going to improve. Your mental clarity is going to improve. Your stress is going to be more easily mitigated throughout the day. So Bioptimizers makes a, makes a wide range of, of quality products, very, very clean products. Um, I know the owner and he puts his heart and soul into this as I do with all of my work. 
if you want to try out these products, these are the two I recommend, but they also make a great magnesium product that has seven distinct types of magnesium. Also, there's Sleep Breakthrough, which has magnesium with some amino acids to help you, in addition to the gold latte from Organifi, get the most restful sleep possible so you can get up the next day and go at it without feeling groggy and all of that. Um, go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN or use code beloved and you'll save 10% on any of their products. But I recommend starting with these. And once you're on these, you're going to realize just how great Bioptimizers is. And then last but not least, we've got uh, WeNatal. There's a lot of prenatal companies out there, guys. I get it. I get it. It can be really, really hard to know. If you go to your fancy grocery store, you'll see folic acid is almost always what's included. And that may not sound like a big deal, but many, many people are not able to um, utilize folic acid. And if you are one of the 40 to 60% of Americans that have some variant of the MTHFR gene, that's the motherfucker gene mutation, <laughs> you're unable to utilize folic acid. So you need methylfolate. The problem is that most of the prenatal vitamins out there don't have it. That's why I'm super stoked to now be partnered with WeNatal. Just like all of the other top brands, you're going to get a ton of great nutrition from this. Adequate vitamin D, adequate choline. Um, you're going to be getting plenty of methylfolate and all of the other micronutrients that are so critical. The thing I really like about WeNatal is it's only three capsules per day versus you know eight to 10. And they care just as much about the environment as they do about the nutrition that you're intaking, including the vitamins and nutrients that are going to your placenta, to your baby. They're going to help you recover postpartum. They're going to keep you from getting postpartum blues. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you subscribe at WeNatal.com, use code BELOVED, or, or go to WeNatal.com slash BELOVED, or you can use the code, actually. They both will work. And they're going to send you your, your subscription box. You're going to get these glass jars. Um, one is actually a travel size, which I think is dope. And then you get yours. Now they have a his and hers variety. And I, th I think both of you should be taking vitamins together. It's something you can do together. And dad, you're equally responsible for taking care of your health. You're not going to have time to dial this in later. So let's get you dialed in now, starting in preconception, especially in pregnancy and continued into postpartum. So you're going to get a jar for him, jar for her. And then every month they're going to send you a little sleeve um, of, uh, of, uh, um, of the capsules. Sorry, I, I heard something downstairs. I thought my little daughter was was screaming. Um, you're going to get a little sleeve of capsules. You load up your canister and you're good to go. So they they try to use all recycled um, recycled plastics and, and other papers and things like that. I just think that that's really critical. I get so many products in the mail and it's just so much extra paper and plastic and everything else. So they're very, very thoughtful about that, caring equally for planet in person. They're also going to send you a hardbound, beautiful um, journal for you guys to start working through whatever it is that's on your mind as you approach the, the birth of your baby. What I think is the best piece of advice that I was ever given when we were on our um, conception journey, actually for in our, in our pregnancy journey, was don't focus as much on the day of the birth. Focus on the next 18 years where you guys as a unit are going to have to raise the most um, healthy, responsible human that you possibly can. And journaling is a great as a great opportunity to dial in not just your physical health with vitamins, but also your mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being for both you and your partner. So go to wenatal.com slash beloved, purchase any prenatal product, and they're going to throw in, yes, yet an, another freebie, which is their Omega DHA Plus, which is a super high-quality fish oil which is a great complement to an already healthy lifestyle, especially if you already have the best prenatal vitamin on the market from WeNatal. All right, guys, I've chattered enough. I realize sometimes these little intros can be a little long-winded, but this allows us to have a relatively um, break-free recording and, and listening or watching experience for you at home. So um, 
I've already told you a little bit about Rochelle. I think we'll just let our conversation speak for itself. Rochelle Garcia Saliga is the operator of Innate Traditions. Go and check out her stuff. We'll put her freebie or her um, offerings in the podcast description as lovedholistics.com. And um, just sit back and relax. This is a beautiful conversation. I can't wait. Rochelle, welcome to the podcast. As I was saying before the recording, I'm a huge fan of your work. And uh, of all the places uh, to find somebody, I found you in the BirthFit certification program. And uh, I knew that there was going to be an important dialogue here. So, so thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking time out of your day for me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've got a number of little sticky notes here <laughs> with different questions I want to ask. And I don't want you to have to repeat yourself because you've, you've You've done quite a number of interviews like this, and I don't want to ask you the obvious things, but you did give me some really good ideas as to things that you're super passionate about. And I do know there are certain topics that you probably, like me, sort of feel like you're banging your head against the wall. So we're definitely going to be threading some of those ideas in. The first question, though, is just a softball, easy question. Where do babies come from? Where do babies come from? You know, I feel like that's um, a question we can all ask ourselves for our whole lifetime. And I don't know that we'll ever know, you know, I mean, if you're talking about their origin before the point of conception, I think at this point in my life, I'm like surrendering more and more to the mystery. I feel like up until this point in my life, especially my adult life, it was like really have been trying to figure things out, even if it's figuring things out spiritually, but now through the life experience I've garnered to 44 years old, I'm like, you know, I don't know that we are going to understand all of the things. And there is this whole element to life that is mysterious. I don't know where consciousness comes from before the point of conception, you know? Mm. So I'm not even sure if that's like your intention in asking me the question, but that's where my mind goes. So I don't know the point of origin of human consciousness before incarnation. It's just the truth. I have that inquiry. I'm fascinated by the question and I have no answer. Yeah, that's okay. I don't, I don't expect anybody to have the answer to that one. It's kind of like shaking up the snow globe before uh-huh. we start to, to have a little, uh, a little conversation. I, I do think that the question is relevant, even if we don't have an answer to it. You know, there are certain traditions and in, in different healing modalities traditionally that kind of start with the question of, of what is life. And, and that's not a question around like Roe versus Wade and all that. I always have to give that, that sort of, uh, sort of disclaimer. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we aren't able to appreciate that there's something that happens that is special here that makes pregnancy more than a disease process, as the medical industrial complex would like you to believe, or that birth is more than a medical procedure, um, once you start kind of unpacking that question, some of those, some of those, those statements become a little bit more relevant. You mm-hmm. know, uh, a lot of women who I know that through your postpartum planning program in Eight Traditions, you you really, I, I think, encourage people to think about that question without naming the question, which is really what is the importance of motherhood? Mm-hmm. And that's really something I'd love to, to really kind of get into. Um, 
there's been a couple in, in different ways. You said it more eloquently than me. But one thing that I always say is that if we want to see anything change in the world, we have to get birthright first. Mm-hmm. Can you riff on that for a little bit? Because I know you have a lot to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that where I would start with that is like the origins of how I got into this work, right? Which was through midwifery in my early 20s. And then the world of pre and perinatal psychology, um, which, you know, pre and perinatal psychology is the, the understanding that babies are conscious, sentient beings since even before the moment of conception. And um, they're fully aware, right? Which is contrary to kind of the modernized, medicalized way of relating with babies as, you know, unaware and not having their brains fully developed, so they don't feel pain and all of the things that get latched onto that. And I feel like I was really drawn into that world um, because of my own kind of lived experience as a baby, right? In the understanding that we can remember everything through implicit memory um, and, and those implicit memories kind of rising to the surface for me in my 20s. And I got into that world and was fortunate to be able to spend time with Ray Castellino, who was really like a pioneer in that field. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he was based in Santa Barbara. And that's where I lived for um, maybe six years in my late teens and early 20s. And that world of pre and perinatal psychology really informed me as a young adult, and I would say informed my midwifery and how I came into midwifery. But then there got to be a certain point in my just like educational process and trajectory when I was like, like, how can we keep talking about like conscious babies and aware babies Mm. and the health of babies, as if there are some like independent molecules floating around in outer space when like the babies are 100% directly connected to the mothers. Right. So if we're talking about like baby's health. Like we can't talk about baby's health unless we're talking about the mother's health, you know? And it's, it seems like such an obvious thing, but that's not how it was being talked about in the world of pre and perinatal psychology at all, at least at that time. And I'm not saying like, I'm the one who first thought of that. I'm not the one who first thought of that. I mean, that's like a traditional midwifery, traditional human way of understanding life, right? Um, But it was really missing from the world that I was in. And, um, you know, I was really into political organizing and activism in my early 20s and all these things. And that came to like a screeching halt for me in my early twenties, when I was like, I am not going to spend my life fighting against, um, a system, a way of life that I don't believe in. I am going to spend my life energy, um, putting it towards the creation of what I do believe in. Right. And that was pretty radical. Oh, I love that. Um, for me to get to that conclusion in my early twenties, because my like community at that time was all super, politicize on the street. Like I would be the one with the bullhorn at rallies and, and, you know, social justice kind of people, which now has a whole other connotation in in this time that we're living. But I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And then when I had that understanding, it's like midwifery came into my orbit, um, pre and perinatal psychology came into my orbit. And then I was led to this place of, if we really want to create change in the world, right? Like 
what's being talked about through these social justice communities that we do, um, we need to start with the mothers because the mothers are the soil of humanity, right? Right. And and so um, it was just looking at, you know, what is the state of mothers in the modern world? How are most mothers feeling in the postpartum time? And most mothers in the modern world in the postpartum time still to date are feeling totally depleted, are feeling way um, under-resourced, are exhausted in all the things. And if mothers are the soil from humanity and we know that children are rooted in their well-being or their depletion, we can't talk about the health of the children or the health of teenagers or the health of the future generations if we're not addressing the soil, right? Which is the same way in our gardens. We can't talk about the health of our plants, the health of the food we're growing if we're not addressing soil health. I mean, this is the foundation to regenerative farming practices. And so when we put that into the same understanding of our humanity, um, we have to be collectively nourishing the soil, which is the mothers, if we want to have a thriving, um, you know, present and future reality for humanity. You know, something I've heard you say a number of times in interviews, and I really love this, this little quote, because even on my website, what I say is, like, I can't fix you. Like, my goal is not to fix you. My goal is to fix the environment that mm-hmm. allows, that is, is prohibitive from you harmonizing, perhaps, with the optimal version of you. Mm-hmm. So what I've heard you say is that you don't blame a flower. So I'm a gardener. I know you have chickens, and probably you grow some plants and herbs and things in your, in your yard. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go outside right now and I look, my, my carrots, for whatever reason, just did not grow. I added soil optimizer. I did all these things. The carrots just, for whatever reason, aren't, aren't growing. I don't go out there and get pissed off at the carrots, mm-hmm. right? The gardener, a, at least like somebody with half a sense as a gardener, mm-hmm. would say, oh, man, like these aren't bad seeds. These aren't bad plants. There's something wrong with the soil. Mm-hmm. So my whole job as a doctor, which I've seen despite my 14 years of training and experience within the, quote, medical industrial complex, mm-hmm. um, has been my, my – I've sort of maintained that – I am not actually treating the person. I'm actually treating the environment in order mm-hmm. for you to reharmonize with your environment mm-hmm. in a in a in a way that reflects wellness and, and health and you know vitality or, or fertility or whatever it is. But I think our system does tend to put a lot of the onus on women when something mm-hmm. doesn't go right. And and people may hear when I speak about radical responsibility, they may hear blame and shame, but that's also a product of mother culture because mm-hmm. mother culture has blamed people for so long mm-hmm. for what's wrong. Having said all of that, let's let me break this into two parts. What needs to change in our environments in the let's say the perinatal um, space, meaning before you have your baby, during the birth? And then immediately after the birth, and maybe even 12 months after the birth, right? Whenever we are fully completing that postpartum cycle, what needs to change in the environment? That's the first part of the question. And then secondly, if we were to impose some sort of principles for people to live by, how can we wake people the fuck up around the role? There may be an opportunity to take responsibility for certain things that they can do in order to optimize what is to come as their environment postpartum. So 
I feel like I can kind of mesh those two, you know, inquiries together into one answer. And, and I'm not saying this like, oh, it's a simple answer because sure, it's, sure. Not. it's never simple, <laughs> <laughs> but um, like the most important thing is community. Right. And, you know, I know that's kind of like cliche in a way, cause now it's like, um, it's kind of like everyone's talking about it and it's like memes on Instagram and, and all these kind of things, but postpartum care can't happen without community, right? So you can't have all of the elements that are required for postpartum healing if you don't have community, right? right. We can't be well without community. So that gets us to like um, eye to eye with the modern day conundrum, which is what do most of us not have in the modern world, which is community. Okay. So this is why I feel like it's taken the collective um, that much longer to understand the importance of postpartum care, right? Because pregnancy is like this confined time, right? So we can make even radical changes for, you know, 40 weeks more or less of a pregnancy and birth, even when it's long is three, four days. Okay. So we can make these radical changes to, to accommodate birth. Right. And so it's kind of like these neat packages of time, but when we get to the postpartum time, can you hear my chicken? It's okay. It's awesome. It's like the most perfect background sound. (laughs) I don't know what is happening. But when we get to the postpartum time, right, it's not a neat little package, okay, of time. It's like, okay, sure, like the early postpartum is six weeks, blah, blah, blah. But like, when we get to the postpartum time, what we're getting into is um, motherhood. And what we're getting into is fatherhood. And what we're getting into is life. And it's there that we realize how this way of life that we're living in the modern world actually does not work to support thriving human life. It doesn't work to support our biology. It doesn't work to resource us, right? So so this is why I feel like, you know, not until the past few years that postpartum has really come into the forefront of the consciousness of the people, because it's like, well, how do we even deal with that? It doesn't matter, you know, how many vaginal steams someone does in the postpartum time or how good your food is or blah, blah, blah. Okay. Like those are all, that's like sprinkles on a cake, but like the cake itself is um, community, right? Yeah. And it's that deep resourcing that we need that on an everyday basis, we are in connection with um, people who can accurately see us and accurately reflect back to us who we are to um, help us to feel good, right? Mm -hmm. And so like in, in, you know, those two parts of the question you put out, it's like, this is what we need. And so when we look at not just the postpartum time, but this um, like medicine of restructuring is it really gets into how do we recreate community to meet us at this time with where we're at on the planet. And I don't, I'm not like living from some belief system of like going back to how things were like, I don't believe in that. Okay. And even though my work talks about traditions and I have elders and all these things, and a lot of time people project you know, onto me that I'm talking about this return to, 
And I'm not talking about a return to because we're going forward. So yes, like I turn back to technology, give up technology and just be at home in front of the fire all day. You're not like people actually think that people like us are speaking about that. But, yeah. And yeah. I, and it's like, I absolutely think we need to be informed by um, the intelligence of our ancestors in the past, but we're going forward. And so what are we going forward to? And how do we create at this time and into the future ways of life that are actually giving to us what we need to thrive, right? Because community, meaning humans that you feel good with, right, is as essential to our health as the food we eat and the water we drink, okay? It doesn't matter, um, you know, how much great organic food you're eating or how pure your water is or how vortex your water is or what all these things, okay? If we don't have um, solid relationships in our life, like we really um, have a challenging time to thrive. Yeah, yeah. So that is um, that is what we're needing to get to. And that's why to address the postpartum time is so complex. It's not as easy as, let's say, addressing physiologic birth, which isn't like a neat package of time, right? It's It's much bigger. And to address a supported postpartum period is to address parenthood is to address um, our ways of life. Right. So it's yeah. a, it's an entire dismantling of how we're living and a restructuring um, and a restructuring so that we have the components of what we need as humans. So given what you said, so let's say that community, and, and of course it's cliche, but we could bring up the blue zones. We could talk about, you know, if you go to most of the Mediterranean, large families still live in small, you know, sort mm -hmm. of, you know, city states, right? Like this, the three or four generations might be on the same block. We have, you know, a lot of food grown at home and, you know, they get their coffee over here and they walk over here to get the bread and they get all of that. So they have this really close knit community and it's cliche but those communities tend to live longer. And, and the one common sort of factor that's been found through a variety of research now in sociology to psychology to even medicine has found that some of these small communities that have remained somewhat homogeneous, unlike most parts of the United States, they tend to live longer and probably there's something you know, related to what you're talking about. But let's take it a step further. Let's also talk about um, so the, the typical experience of somebody listening and you haven't been through a birth yet, let's say in the, in the conventional model, you have your baby, right? You get all the monitoring, you get your stuff after, after the birth, two days later you go home and then it's like, now what, right? And they give you a stack of papers as to how to keep a, a baby alive, I suppose, and what to look for regards to a, with regards to infection or whatever. But you end up finding yourself very isolated. And this was especially relevant over the past couple of years. We won't talk about you know, I think people, most people know what happened from 2020 to 2023, but the um, realities of isolating a new mother and a new father completely separate from their community, their tribe, call it what you will, has devastating consequences. We know that. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, within the birth work community itself, and I use the word birth work because I don't honestly don't have a better term, but the traditions of caring for women mm -hmm. um, through this tr tremendous transformation that is childbirth is also very fractured. Every single person now has a page on Instagram that is like the newest, greatest, beautiful pastel colored. Here's what to eat during pregnancy and all this such that there ends up actually being a competition and, and even some horizontal violence amongst women who have dedicated themselves to this task. Mm -hmm. So you end up with a space where you have to pick a person to care for you afterwards, as opposed to a tribe of, uh, you know, of, of your community members caring mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. 
if you were, you know, you said you're, you're 43, but you have a, a couple of 44, I think. And you have a couple of children. How many children do you have? My daughter is almost 13. And when I got together with my husband, he was a single dad and his son was 12 and now he is 28. Okay, great. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So, so you've got certainly an adult child and you Mm -hmm. have a teenager and, Mm -hmm. or a soon to be teenager, I suppose. How how old did you say your daughter is? Almost 13. 13. Okay. So you've got a nearly teenager. If you um, could reflect back on your births and sort of transport yourself there. How would you, what would be the ideal scenario? Like, let's just dream up your dream community. What would birth look like for you in the postpartum period? Mm -hmm. Because like you said, we can't just keep beating our our hands against the doors of those we don't like. Why don't we dream up what it is that we actually do want, which we could apply to political change, to policy change, to everything else. Like people love shitting on what they don't like, but what Mm -hmm. actually would you replace it with? Like Mm -hmm. truly. So what would you replace the postpartum system with now that you've had 13 years to kind of, Mm -hmm. kind of ponder over this. Mm -hmm. Um, I really feel that pregnancy is a time, um, of preparation, you know, in so many levels of what that means, but, um, preparation also so that when we arrive in the postpartum period, we have scaffolding, meaning we have the support established because when we arrive to the postpartum time, like we don't have the energetic resources to create support. Like it already needs to be there. Right. And I mean, I could put this in my, my first person experience. I feel like I had kind of a unique (laughs) midwifery experience in that I really believed. Right. And this is like partial innocence mixed with ignorance, which I feel like is part of our life experience. But I really believed um, that somehow like I was buffered um, mm. from the realities, like the harsh realities of postpartum in the modern world because of my midwifery experience. Like I thought, well, you know, I've been around so many mothers and so many babies and like, this is my whole life, my whole world. And so somehow like magically, um, you know, like the community, like the midwifery community would, you know, rise up to meet me. I mean, this was really what I believe and not as so much a thought, but like a bodily belief. And there's beauty in that, right? Cause that's like the potentiality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also not very material reality based, right? Um, so what I did yeah. have personally in my postpartum time is we were living with my parents when my daughter was born. So like, I don't, I didn't have to think about any physical logistical thing for months. Like I I never had to think about like, what am I going to eat? Or um, how are we going to pay these bills? Like I, it didn't even like enter into my awareness. Right. And that in and of itself is such a gift to not have to go there at all. Um, But on the, like, uh, let's say emotional, spiritual, mental level, there was massive lack of resourcing. Right. Because we were living with my parents in a community where we knew no one. Um, And my situation was unique in that we immigrated as a family from Mexico to the United States in my third trimester. And we left our community. Um, Not, it wasn't like this very conscious choice. It's really like immigration tells you when you have to move. Sure. Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, like if, if I could like have a redo, I don't know that I would have left Mexico because I had a a pretty intact community of people there who would have risen up to support me in this way that I just kind of assumed that 
the people around me would. Um, but the support needs to be set up during pregnancy, right? Again, because there's not, we don't have that life force energy to direct into the creation of things when we're in the postpartum time, because all of our life force energy is going into the creation and caretaking of our baby, right? Whether it's the mother or the father we're talking about or whatever. So that support system needs to be built out. And what does it mean when I say that? It's like, who are the humans that you can rely on? Okay. From anything from real practical things, maybe you have people in your life who are like the practical logistical things, right? Like food, washing laundry, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then who are the people in your life that have the capacity to be not just with you, but be with humans during, um, we can say rites of passage, but to break that down more, to be with other humans during times of transformation without freaking out. Okay. And those are the kind of people that you want to have around you. And like, if we have to put it simply, it's that mothers need humans in their space on a daily basis in the postpartum time that they feel good with. So not just any human, right? We're not talking about the mother-in-law that you actually really don't like or your mom who's like not aligned with your parenting choices at all, but like humans that you feel resourced by so that wherever you're at in your expression of your humanity, whether that's a joy and gratitude or that's despair and depression, that they can just be with you in that and not have to make up a whole story about it, right? Because yeah. that whole spectrum is normal, okay? Joy and... um gratitude and elation and love and depression and anxiety and terror. I mean, it's all normal, right? Because that's the full spectrum of our human experience. And that's what is going to come up in like potentized ways in the postpartum time. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Just as you finished talking, I had a like something go in my throat. So <laughs> for those who are watching, I just turned and I was like, ah, <laughs> Um, yeah, Rochelle, I, I think that this is a, you know, a quite a tall task. And I, I do think that we have various aspects of our society that simply don't really resonate with the reality of what needs to happen in the postpartum period. Totally. You know, people, are, people are like, every little bit counts. And yes, that's true. But what you're really speaking to is a, a wide sweeping change mm-hmm. in how our society even views the individual. Mm -hmm. right? Like we're so individualistic. It's a, you know, I, I'm a self-made man. Like those types of phrases actually are, are harming us Mm -hmm. in in making us believe that there are people out there that have done this completely by themselves rather Mm -hmm. than perhaps on the backs of their neighbors and despite the proximity of their neighbors. Mm -hmm. So when this opportunity to have a baby, um, and the acknowledgement that having an ideal postpartum experience really does require um, community. When that becomes like at the forefront of our attention with regards to reform, we have to consider how many possible structures would need to change in order for that to take place. And I'm not saying this nihilistically I'm, or, or in, in a discouraging way. Mm-hmm. I mean that we have to be very, very clear as to what we want. Mm-hmm. Like, like just having an extra six weeks off for paid maternity or paternity care mm-hmm. is not enough. It, it doesn't even necessarily mean anything if those that couple that's getting that paid time off doesn't have enough people in their lives to truly nest in and lean into that. 
this immediate new bonding period, you know, with the, the born baby now earth side. So you mentioned regenerative agriculture. I feel, you know, some, some names come to mind, Joel Salatin, Daniel Griffith, those people that are very outspoken and very eloquent about the food system. It's not enough for us to say down with Monsanto, stop spraying our crops. We have a society and a, cons a consumer driven society that demands fast commercially produced everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, force of nature meats is a really popular brand of regeneratively raised beef and bison and liver and all of this stuff. And they buy their meat from a variety of farms around the country, which perhaps they are meeting some sort of regen, you know, regenerative agricultural principles, but you're still not buying it from the guy down the street who, you know, which mm -hmm. if you listen to people like Joel Salatin and Daniel Griffith, if they had it their way, if we really, really want to change the food system, you have to actually start getting your meat from the farm down the road here in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And you need, we need to honor the farmers and the investment that they're making and the time and the sacrifice that they're making into turning 50 acres of otherwise, you know, wild brush into veritable farmland mm -hmm. and, and really, really supporting the soil there in order to grow healthy grass, in order to raise healthy cows, to make healthy people and placentas and babies. So mm -hmm. what we're talking about is a, a Gordian knot, I think, for many people, and it can be very discouraging to hear this, but we have to know what we would want. Mm -hmm. So I, I do appreciate the, the exercise of kind of illustrating what it could look like. Now, mm -hmm. how do we reverse engineer that and make that a reality is that's the topic for, you know, our next podcast, I guess. But well, I mean, I do have something that I often talk to you about that, because sometimes like, this concept of community can seem so broad to people. Um, and I think what's really important, too, when we're talking about the postpartum time is like, Yes, like mother at center, right, being resourced in this way by community, but also in what ways are the fathers being resourced? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the expectation I would say at this time is that, well, um, the dad will be the postpartum plan and a dad is not a postpartum plan. Okay. Um, and what I can say from experience, cause like the women who take my training and if they go on to complete the whole thing, like I give to them this community education series that they teach them in their community, right? And the community education series is called planning for the fourth trimester. And it's about the physiology of the postpartum time. And the, the idea of it is that it's not just the mom, the mom doesn't even freaking need to come to class. Okay. It's more important. Like who's going to be around mom in the postpartum time so that they can understand some basic tenets of postpartum physiology. And so that the plan, right, for the postpartum time can be planned out during pregnancy so that it's in place so that they arrive to the postpartum period caught and held by this plan mm. that they've worked to establish. And so there's women teaching this community education series, right, of innate postpartum care around the planet now. And I stay in contact with all the women who are doing this and the feedback, okay, is that the families who are taking this class are not first time parents. Okay. It's parents who are like having their second, third, fourth, more baby because they've already gone through the postpartum experience yeah. and they know how hellacious it was. And they're like, we do not want to do that again. Okay. And that when, and this is not just me, right? This is like, hundreds of women telling me this who have worked with me when they try to share about this class with first-time moms and first-time families literally the families are like we're good 
<laughs> we don't need to do that. And the dad will be like, I have two weeks off from work. And the pregnant mom might say, my mom's coming out for a week. Okay. Like as if that covers it. Right. Because they don't know yet. Right. And they think yeah. like, how complicated could it be that we're going to need so much? Like how ridiculous, what a waste of time to take a whole class about something that's going to be so simple. This is yeah. really the belief, right? And it's like, you can't like make people, like you can't make people know what they don't know, right? Cause it's like, if we know that we don't know something then we go and search for the answer because we know that we don't know it. But if we don't know that we don't know something we're not gonna go looking for it because we don't know that we don't know it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and exactly. so it's like, that's where the collective is at right now when it comes to um, the postpartum experience. So when I talk about community, and again, this is not my concept, this is really a concept that comes from pre and perinatal psychology, but it's also, I feel like just how a lot of midwives and birth connected people relate to the world, which is looking at birth as the microcosm for life, okay? But we know that when our babies are in utero, right, that there's two layers to the amniotic sac, yeah. okay? There's the amnion and the chorion. And if we say, well, what is that teaching us about the rest of life if birth and pregnancy is the microcosm? There's two layers of support for that baby, okay? So in pre and perinatal psychology, then it's two layers of support in the womb. And then what we need when we're born is two layers of support outside the womb because the baby's oh, born beautiful. and into the biological design, not with morality and all these things, but there's a mother and a father, okay? There's two layers of support that's inbuilt for the baby. What is the purpose of two layers of support in the womb? It's like one breaks, there's the other one. Okay. Yeah. What's the purpose of two layers of support outside the womb? One's not there. You've got the other one. Okay. So if we expand that design to the mother and the father after birth, the postpartum mother needs two layers of support at, this is like minimum, right? Yeah. Who are the yeah. two layers? Okay. We can say the dad is one layer. That's cool, but he can't be the only one. So who's the second layer of support? And that's just for the mom, but then who's the layers of support for the dad? And what we have to reckon with is that after birth, um, the mom is not a layer of support from the dad, okay? Outside of the early postpartum time, sure. Like in healthy couplehood, the mom is a layer of, you know, the woman is a layer of support for the man and the man is a layer of support for um, vice versa. I'm getting messed up in my <laughs> tracking of it. But the point is, is after birth, we have to acknowledge that here's the dad who is a layer of support for the mom and who are the two layers of support for the dad? Yeah. Well, what I track in my work and in my world is most dads have no layers of support, okay? So first of all, how can a person who has no resourcing act as a support person, okay? But how does that contribute to the dysfunction of the family, okay? So if we want this couple and this baby to be well, we have to have right resourcing for both adults, which is for the mom and for the dad, which is ac you know, actually for the baby. So those two layers of support is like a simple way to begin to build this concept of community. And if moms can think about this, what it does is it like resources her 
okay, her partner's one layer of support, but her partner can't be her only support. So who's her other person? And it gets dads to start thinking about who are, who are my support people, right? Because a big conundrum in, in my world and what I see is that most men are deeply lacking in support in general. Right. Most men are super isolated. So the men can start thinking about in pregnancy who can be my two layers of support? And that can look however it looks, right? It might be that a paid therapist is one layer of support and that's fine, right? But there needs to be at least two people there to catch both adults and that's then, right. you know, ideally more. And so then we can start to build out from that as a framework. But, um, you know, we're living in a time of fracture and then, you know, a time of repair and again, what we need is community. What we, what most of us don't have is community. And this is a simple way that we can start rebuilding um, community. What's up, guys? It's Nathan. Quick break from this amazing conversation. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the Born Free Method. We have been guiding, Sarah Rosser and I, one of the foreign midwives, we've been guiding 70 people now through the Born Free Method, which includes 12 months of weekly calls with me and Sarah. She and I have been overwhelmed um, with the abundance of clients that want us to work with them through pregnancy, from preconception all the way through childbirth into the postpartum period. And uh, we decided to do this in a group coaching setting. So when you enroll with the Born Free Method, you're gonna get 12 months of weekly calls with she and I, and we've already pre-recorded 100 plus lessons on everything from birth planning to care for the newborn, to intimacy, to sacred polarities, to every intervention under the sun, including stuff that other people don't wanna to touch, vitamin K, Rogam, GBS and antibiotics, history of prior C-section, um, breech birth, ultrasound, COVID, vaccines, we've covered everything under the sun. And you're going to be able to go into your birth or if you're a birth worker, you're going to be able to counsel your clients better with all of the information. There's over 250 um, plus citations in this course. And you can go through as many times as you'd like. You get lifetime access and any updates come January 2024. We're going to have many, many more lessons that we add. You're going to get lifetime access to that. And as we get new information, we update the already pre-recorded lessons. So this is our magnum opus. And um, People are loving it. People are really, really digging it, whether you're a birth worker, experienced or otherwise, or this is your first pregnancy or 10th pregnancy, there is plenty here for you. We are going to be enrolling for one more month in 2023. Um, you can go to bornfreemethod.com and um, book an enrollment call. We'll get you enrolled right then and there. We won't be enrolling again until January of 2024. So go to bornfreemethod.com jump in. We want to have you in our community. It includes a private community of other like-minded people who have all of the right questions. Maybe you can share your insights. Maybe you'll learn something from the community as well. We'd love to have you. Go to bornfreemethod.com and enroll. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard you use this term, and I, I'm not so sure if I really, it, it kind of to me sounds like a t-shirt phrase that doesn't really have much meaning if we're not going to like really get pissed off about how important it is, but mothering the mother. Uh -huh. um, when I hear that, I also think like, I think back to when we had our first baby, 
and uh well we had two during during covid and we lost so many friends because i wasn't out you know i guess with a, a billboard or something telling everybody that they should get you know the the little injecting in, injection thing and uh so we lost a lot of friends one of which was the only couple in our town who was of childbearing age that was actively having kids themselves and they basically amputated us mm -hmm. and all of my other friends and support people were not around you know they weren't in town they were doing their own thing in other places and I think what a lot of um, the media says about us men is that you know you're you're sort of the the monk at the top of the mountain training hard preparing the mind the body the whatever in order to like go to war or something like I don't, I don't know what the nowadays what that sort of that sort of um, archetype really illustrates to us men. But I can tell you that I felt extremely lonely. Like I had nobody out there to help me out. And it wasn't like, hey, can you help me mow the grass? It was like, can somebody just like, like emotionally connect with me about how hard this is? And I remember even, you know, um, texting friends of mine and they'd had kids and they were like, I remember one of my good friends, like somebody I knew since I was three years old, he said something like, listen, all you got to remember is kids are shitheads and you, it'll get, it'll get easier, you know? And it's like, what the hell kind of, like, what, what you're like the person who has known me the longest and that's your best piece of advice. So, mm -hmm. um, so anyways, just to, to kind of go back to what you were saying, um, I, I think we need to also like give men some role here. We need to engage them in the conversation a little further. And, and mm -hmm. part of my, my course, the born free method, we're going to include this interview in there. And I'd love for you to come speak to our, to our community as well. But there's a lot of men who found me through my podcasting and all this. And they're like, Hey, we, Something about what you're saying really resonates. I'm, a, I'm afraid about what, what's going to happen here, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so we created a whole unit just for the dads around sacred polarities mm -hmm. and interviewing fathers who'd done this multiple times, sometimes 10. There was one mm -hmm. guy I interviewed who had 10 kids, mm -hmm. but I still think it's hard for us men to really appreciate the tremendous transformation that takes place in, in yourself, in your partner, who maybe you've known. I knew my wife when we were 15. Mm -hmm. um, she's also Mexican, by the way. So, um, the support that she has in Mexico is far different from the support we have in the United States where everybody mm -hmm. just pops in and out with whatever needs to be done. They just kind of come in and they're mm -hmm. making dinner for you or just the culture there. Mm -hmm. So, um, so anyways, I, uh, I, I lost my track of my train of thought there, but I wanted to share something now that I brought Mexico up. Um, I was just there recently uh, about a month or two ago and my wife, my wife's mother is very connected with a lot of curanderos there. And, one of her friends, childhood friends, actually um, was an allopathic doctor and then transitioned to traditional Mexican medicine. And she's been practicing as a temescalera for a number of years. And one part of that tradition um, that I learned after doing the a temescal, which for those who don't know, that is a tradition. That's, that's a term from the Aztec tradition of a sweat lodge. But sweat lodges have various sort of traditions around North America and really around the world. But um, she organized this Temescal and, and I was talking to her before we went in and she had said, oh, well, this, this whole practice was developed by women in some traditions to give men the experience of giving birth because mm -hmm. so that they could somehow empathize or sympathize maybe with this experience. And I consider myself a pr pretty tough indiv individual. And in the third round, after 39 stones had been brought in, abuelitos, I had to step out. I could not handle it. It was way too much for me. And all of these women, many of them, 30 years older than me, we're just sitting there chilling and just sitting with it and just mm -hmm. bearing it. And I thought that that as an initiation for men traditionally 
mm-hmm. would have been very helpful in connecting him to this this tremendous process. So I wanted to just share that little piece of the story, but maybe you can reflect on any temescales that you've been a part of in the past or any traditional Mexican medicine and maybe their takes on some of these things. But also maybe you can riff a little bit more on the opportunity for men in the birth itself. How can mm-hmm. men show up to be a little bit more present or um, uh, space holding, you know, emotionally available? Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with that part first. You know, there's a lot of things that I don't feel like I have answers for. And I don't feel like we have answers for because we're just in the inquiry right now. And um, what is new about this time that we're living in is that we collectively are asking men to be at birth and be part of the pregnancy experience and the postpartum experience in ways that I don't know that it's ever been like that before for humanity. You know, at least it hasn't been like that for the past 5,000 years. So it's like, we're, we're forging something new. And I think that's beautiful, right? But the way that we know how to do a lot of things as humans is from the imprint of it, from the experience of it. And so when we don't have the experience, it's really awkward and challenging to, to do the thing. Okay. So we're saying, okay, we want the men to show up and that's beautiful. But in order for the men to show up, what do the men need? And I don't have like all the answers to that, but I have the question because I know that we can't just say, oh, we want this. We want you to show up like this, but you're going to be, you're going to have no resourcing, right? How can you Mm -hmm. show up without resourcing? So we have to get clear about what is the resourcing that men need in order to show up in the ways that women would love the men to show up at birth. Like all that has to get parsed out because what I know, it's really messy right now. Right. And I feel like quite honestly leads to a lot of like marital arguments, right. Um, From like in the birth experience, the postpartum experience and like that. And, and it's like, what are our roles? Okay. As women and as men. And if we are creating something new in the sense of inviting men into a space that's traditionally women's space. Like how do we do that in a way that is still respectful and honoring of the polarities so that we can rightfully coexist? That's right. So again, I don't have answers really. I have a lot of questions from like the dysfunction that I'm tracking, you know? Um, I do know that, um, it's beautiful for me to witness men like you. And then there's Dan Doty who I'm in connection with and men out there who are doing, you know, more work for the fathers, more offering more for the fathers now. Right. And acting as that model kind of young eldership for the young dads coming up. I feel like that's going to be a really helpful thing to change this imprint. Um, And I feel like we're just really in this time of like women rising and coming into our power and men rising and you all coming into your power, but like, we're all figuring out what that actually means, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. what does that actually mean? Because so much of what we've been taught about who we are and who we are not as men and women is complete inversions of the truth, okay? So right now, I don't actually believe there's a lot of people who have like clear cut answers, yeah. but we're in the collective inquiry of what is the actual truth 
of womanhood and of manhood? How do we uphold those polarities, you know, within ourselves so that we can come together in a functioning, dynamic, harmonious way, you know? Um, that's what I can say to that. And in my experience in ceremony, you know, like I've, I was adopted into ceremonial way of life. My adopted dad was Ojibwe and he passed in 2012, but he was a roadman of the native American church. And he was the chief of the Sundance and ran sweat lodge and all wow. the things. And he's who like, I run sweat lodge and he's who passed me, um, the lodge. And, um, my husband is a sun dancer and most of my experience with Sundance has been in Mexico. A lot of people think of it as like a native North American tradition, but it's not only a, a North American tradition. And, um, I, I have Sundance one year, like I didn't do a four-year cycle and I Sundance to help my husband complete a four-year commitment, which is a whole long story of, wow. of why and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, but like, so I, I danced that dance one time and apart from dancing at one time, like I have been the one saumando, like cleaning the dancers in several sun dances in Mexico and my elders, a sun dancer. And so that, um, tradition has been part of my life for a long time. And what I received in being in the sun dance ceremony is that that ceremony is a dance of life and that that tree in the center of the dance okay which they call the tree of life is the tree of life that's on the placenta and in the sun dance right the men offer flesh offerings so yeah. they're like tied up to the tree from their chest right and they they offer these flesh offerings that's the umbilical cord and the whole freaking dance is the placenta Okay. Whoa. And then you have the singers to the side and there's this massive drum that all of these drummers sit around hitting this massive drum with drumsticks. And that massive drum is the egg and all those drumsticks are the sperm, the sperm. <laughs> and that's the dance of life. Okay. And so when I was in that dance, um, doing like the cleaning, you know, with the copal for the dancers, and like, I would be, you know, it was mostly men. There's a lot of women who sun dance in Mexico too, but it was a lot of men. And like, I would be with men, especially as it got to like the third day and the fourth day. And for people who don't know, right, it's a ceremony and you have, you're not drinking any water and you don't eat any food for four days. And you're going into Temascal every morning and every night. So you do two sweat lodges a day for four days, no food, no water. And you're dancing from sun up to sundown, Right. And the way that the men looked like on the third and fourth day, I'm like, oh, they look like women in labor. You know? <laughs> and, and I was like, I know how to be with that, you know? And I was like with the men, like how I am with the women in labor, you know? Um, and it's intense, right? But like, I would come out of the ceremony and people would say to me, oh my God, how are you? in there isn't that so intense for you right because the men are making these flesh offerings and all the things and I'm like it's intense but like not any more intense than birth is you know oh, yeah. and I traditionally that dance was for men you know now there's a lot of women who sun dance and like I sun dance like I said one year and whatever maybe that's just the purpose of that ceremony as it evolves but traditionally that dance was for men and I really um, 
connected with this felt sense that that dance was for men so that they could get into the same states of being that women get into during labor and birth, you know? And what I also felt from it, and this part like made me bawl my eyes out, like one of those cries where you're like heaving and you can't stop um, because I saw like so much beauty and simultaneously like so much dysfunction which is that in this Sundance, right, you have the men dancing, which is this massive offering, but you also have, you know, 30 people sitting around the drum singing for them. And then you also have another outer circle who is dancing and riling for them. And then you have another outer circle that's preparing food in a communal kitchen to feed the people who are supporting the dancers in the center. So there's all of these concentric rings of support. And I was like, that's how it happens. Like they, like I could cry about it now. Like they're Mm. fueled on the community, right? This massive, like concentric ring of community that's supporting them at the center so that they can do this thing, right? And that's so beautiful to see, like actually see how that functions, right? And I'm like, why the fuck is that not happening for women giving birth? Okay, because- Like I have the lived experience of what that looks like and what that feels like and the power, like Mm. the power that is generated through that. And I felt then I was like, what if every time a woman gave birth, you know, that level of concentric ring support was surrounding her and her family? What if, like what kind of power would be generated from it, you know? And like, I know the answer to that too, because now you, we know from talking with women who have had, you know, physiologic birth, but not just physiologic birth, because a lot of women, you know, who are experiencing physiologic birth are arriving to the postpartum time completely unsupported and just like, what the hell, but a physiologic birth and a truly supported postpartum period. And I just talked to a woman like this last night who had twins and her community freaking rallied around her after this spontaneous um, surprise home birth of twins. And she said she had so much support from her community. Okay. That like, she feels so fucking charged. She has so much energy and her husband has so much energy. She has so much creative energy, like pumping through her that they're like traveling the world with five kids. Okay. And like twins who are like less than a year old and she has all these projects going on and she feels so radiant. And I'm like, yes, that's Mm. the fucking potential of what this is meant to be like, you know? So that's my experience with the ceremonies, you know, to me, like all these ceremonies that the Mascal and Sundance and these ceremonies that I know of from living on, you know, this land, right. Of native North America they all come from women's physiologic design, right? The Tamascal, everyone says, is the womb of the earth. You know, it's like the Sundance is the ceremony of life. And yeah, it's to help us orient to <clears throat> the microcosm of birth and the macrocosm of life. And so absolutely, I feel like if men were able to participate in these ceremonies, specifically with the intention and being guided and held by older men who have this awareness of this is to help guide you into your initiation of fatherhood. Yeah. 
oh yeah, dude, we would be good. <laughs> like mm. we would be good. And I know that and I can feel that. And I can also say that that is not how the ceremonies are um, being utilized for the most part. And there is not a lot of people who know these things about those ceremonies who might even get pissed off hearing me talk about the ceremonies like that, right? Yeah. Um, but that's okay. I don't really care because I know this is just like what was downloaded to me in my own relationship with life and my own relationship to spirit by being in these ceremonies, you know? Um, so like the potential is there, right? Our blueprint is always there. It's what are we orienting to? Are we orienting to the blueprint or are we orienting to the dysfunction? Oh my Lord. <laughs> yeah. I think you're the only, only the second guest who's ever made me cry on my own podcast. I just love everything that you just said. That sounds like such a dipshit way to follow up such a beautiful <laughs> diatribe, um, but beautiful. And what an allegory for like a true initiation, right? Mm -hmm. Where death is on the line. Death mm -hmm. is on the line in birth. Mm -hmm. And it's not the death, the physical death, fortunately, for that many women. It's actually mm -hmm. the death of your identity, of your ego. This whole process is a death of something and a rebirth of something anew. And the Sundance, I didn't know that allegorically speaking. I didn't under appreciate the history behind the Sundance. Um, but that's an initiation in and of itself and a bit of a, a bit of a sacrificing, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereby there is certainly death, you feel like you're going to die, whether you're in a, a really well done Temescal or sweat lodge or you're in the Sundance. I'm sure that you feel like my body is, is going to stop. Mm -hmm. And that is really where I think our, our learning edge, we find our learning edge where we can lean into something new. If we're going to be birthing something new, so to speak, mm -hmm. is we have to be, we have to get into the fire and we have to mm -hmm. really start to sort this out. And honestly, like from the, the, the frame, the, from the lens of transgenerational health, we have absolutely no other option. We have mm -hmm. to do something differently. And it can't just be podcasting and cool Instagram infographics. Like we need to wake up and really start to appreciate what's what's on the line if we can't give birth right. Mm -hmm. So, um, oh, that made I me think of something. Yeah, please. Can, yeah, can please I say before I forget? <laughs> this is it. This is it. Like round it off here for us, Rochelle. You're incredible. And then, of course, make sure you tell people how they can find you as well. Totally. And this is what I wanted to get back into, like before we started talking about ceremony stuff, about resourcing of dads and and also resourcing of moms for that matter. But, um, and this, this understanding came up for me through being at birth and I've seen more dads faint at birth than I've seen moms faint. Right. And it's this whole thing of what, what kind of preparation, um, are people going through, right. As women and men for birth and what kind of preparation can like course correct, um, from the way that birth is right now and something from the world of pre and perinatal psychology that absolutely informs me and my work is that most of us as adults in this modern world were born through birth experiences that were way less than ideal. Okay. And yeah. most of us, we could say traumatic. So what that means for us is that our first imprint of birth is trauma. Okay. And if we don't do that work to tend to our own pre and perinatal imprints, okay, 
we carry those imprints with us all of the time and we carry them with us into our own birth experiences as women and the men carry their those experiences with them into birth as well and so we could say it's a normal natural thing because of these imprints that most of us have to experience terror at mm. birth to experience anxiety at birth to experience um and like an abdication of self-responsibility at birth because our first imprint of what birth is comes from how we were born into an environment and a space of anxiety terror um and all of those things right so when we're talking about how do we resource dads how do we resource moms how do we get prepared for birth and this even intertwines into the ceremonial space because I feel like this work can be done in so many ways, right? It's like pre and perinatal psychology, there's family constellations, there's ceremonial work. I mean, there's so many ways, but we need to address our imprints of birth because that's affecting us as the mother and the father at birth. But that's also affecting the care providers attending birth. Because if we don't deal with our own memories that are implicit of our birth experiences, we bring that trauma with us into the birth space. And then that's why we are, as practitioners, creating traumas in the birth space because it's coming Mm -hmm. from our own anxieties Mm -hmm. from how we Mm -hmm. were born, right? Mm -hmm. So like in the ideal world, in the potentiality, we're looking at that as our point of origin, as our point of reference, right? And how we're birthing and how we're showing up as care providers. And that's something that, again, fathers can tend to, mothers can tend to, practitioners can tend to in pregnancy, in preparation for um, birth, you know? So I just wanted to put that out there. And again, there's so many ways that that can be tended, but we have to really look um, at not like what we think about birth in our minds, but what our bodies know about birth from how we were born. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I also want to give a little hat tip to all of the birth workers out there who do work in the hospital system still. I think we're projecting the traumas that those LD nurses and the doctors and the midwives and this and that being in a system that doesn't see birth as more than a medical procedure that just is bound to have a medical intervention. I think that there's a lot of trauma there that's a little unforeseen. Mm-hmm. And then those birth workers are projecting that trauma, maybe unconsciously or subconsciously in the very least, onto the people that they've taken an oath to protect. So to not protect, but to to tender, you know, mm-hmm. across the river. And so we all need to sort of bear what you said in mind that we transgenerationally um, and, and even going back to the way that we were born, this stuff really matters. And while it seems woo woo and fringe, we're seeing it sort of play out in very nefarious ways, I think, in many of our lives mm-hmm. um, and many of our own births. So mm-hmm. um, gosh, thank you so much, Rochelle, for coming on mm-hmm. to the program. Uh, people are going to love this one. Uh, real quick, I know you, you mentioned it before, but just tell people how they can go and find your coaching and where they can find you on the Instagrams. Mm-hmm. So my website is innatetraditions.com and my Instagram is innatetraditions and that's where you can find me. Oh, lovely. Any final, any final words? Like why don't we start, why don't we end with a softball? Like what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? <laughs> Chocolate for sure. Chocolate. You hear, you heard it here, folks, on the Holistic OBGYN <laughs> podcast. 
uh, Rochelle, thank you so, so much. Um, I'm sure we'll be in touch. I'd love to, uh, to do some work together and to maybe even do your training myself. I think it'd really be helpful to my practice. Cool. Thank you for having me. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in another amazing episode of the holistic of podcast under wraps if you want to find me nathan riley i'm the host i am an md i'm a fellow of acog meaning i'm a board certified ob i'm also a board certified hospice and palliative care physician you can find all of my services and products at belovedholistics.com including an online shop with discount codes for all of the brands that are at the top of their category from water and hydration to supplements to um, courses. I mean, there's so much there. So go check that out. I also offer private consultation. You can buy packages. I'm also, um, of course, the PRP fertility program is open to all comers. You can find all of that at belovedholistics.com. If you're a midwife and you need collaboration from a physician, I got you. Go to Beloved Holistics. You'll find everything there. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please support the sponsors. If you haven't left a five-star review, please go do that. It really, really means a lot. And lastly, if something in this episode touched you, share it with somebody that you love. I'm sure that they're going to love it too. We'll see you next week right back here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Take care and do no harm. Take no shit. Bye-bye, everybody. Mm-hmm.